1 p.m. service. How are we doing today? We doing good? Our first 1 p.m. service. My name is Donovan Smith. I'm the worship director here. Thank you. You guys are awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys are too much. Making me cry up here. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, my name is Donovan Smith. I'm excited to be here today. How many of you guys like new things, right? Like new seasons, the seasons change. How many of you like the time change even? The hands shot down really, really quick. I love new things. I love it when rhythms are kind of interrupted by new things. So uh, for today, we have a lot of new things happening. We got a new series that we're starting called The Pathway. We got new service times, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. And this is new for me because this is, will be my first time preaching on a weekend for you guys. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun today, okay? So be free to, you know, laugh and just be interactive, okay? We're going to have a good time today, okay? So we are starting a new uh, series called The Pathway. And so you hear us say this every week, but we are all about loving and leading people into a life-changing connection with Jesus Christ. And we have four ways that we go about affirming this God-given vision, and we call them our discipleship pathway. We could put them up on the screen. Uh, how many of you have seen these posted on the door outside, these hieroglyphic-looking things, right? Okay, so uh, my wife actually had no idea what they meant until she overheard me preparing for my sermon. So I'm going to break it down for you guys real quick, okay? The very first one, the up arrow, is worship. We come into this place, and we give God the glory, the honor, and the praise that he deserves. So that's worship. The next one is uh, connection, so connect. So here at Centerpoint, we are, we're all about building life-changing connections, and we want to provide as many ways possible for us to connect with one another. We have so many ministries here. We've got women's ministry, men's ministry. We've got mom space, youth ministry. And so it's important to realize that we were never meant to do life alone. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Then we have the serve arrow. So you've been coming here for a while and you're saying, hey, I want to get involved. I want to serve, right? It's us partnering with heaven and agreeing that we want to see heaven here on earth as it is in heaven, according to God's desires for his church. And last but not least, influence. It's the two arrows pointing outward. And we have this saying here at Center Point where we say it a lot. We say, be a bringer. Somebody say, be a bringer. Be a bringer. So it's important that what happens here at Center Point does not stay here at Center Point. There are amazing things that God is doing, and we want to share it with as many people as we possibly can, co-workers, neighbors, everyone. So the very first one to talk about this week is worship. So Pastor John asked me to share both his heart and my heart uh, on what worship is for our church. And ultimately, as we dive deeper, I think we're just going to discover God's heart for worship in general. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4, verses 19, and then just put your finger there for a second. We'll dive in, and we'll, we'll be hanging out mostly in this passage of Scripture. But before we get into that, I want to talk about my two sons real quick, Caleb and Ian, okay? Ian is my middle child. He is four years old. He's like his mother. Uh, Caleb is more like me. He is six years old. He just turned uh, six a couple days ago. Both of my sons love birthday cake. I know it's kind of random hanging there with me. They love birthday cake. They're obsessed with birthday cake. What kid does not like sugar, right? If you're a parent in the room, you know, do not give my kid sugar, please. But they love birthday cake. Just last week, Ian was invited to a birthday party. And I kid you not, as we were walking out the door, he says, Dad, there better be birthday cake at this party. I'm telling you. I'm like, okay, excuse me, son, right? 
My son, Caleb, the six-year-old, he loves birthday cake also, but he's also uh, fascinated by sea animals, okay? Uh, whales and crabs, all of it. He just stores all of this information in his brain. I don't know how he does it. But when he was around three years old, he comes up to me and he said, Dad, did you know that a barnacle has no gills and no heart, but it's still considered a living thing? I'm like, what's a barnacle? I thought, no, no joke. I thought barnacle was a made-up word on SpongeBob or something, right? And I had to look it up. So I was like, okay, what is a barnacle? And sure enough, a barnacle is a living organism with no gills and no heart. He was right. He even corrects me too. I'm like, he goes, no, dad, that's not a squid. That's an octopus, right? He just has all this knowledge. So me and my wife, Cassandra, we decided, you know, hey, we're going to become, the, we're going to have the, the best parents of the year award. We're going to take our son to SeaWorld, right? I mean, come on, with a kid with a fascination in sea animals, what, a be- what better place than SeaWorld? And we didn't just buy any tickets, okay? We got like the premium package, all right? We decided to do like... Um, uh, front of the line passes for all the exhibits, all the rides we did. We're going to do uh, like all day dining so we could just eat and go and, and just not miss anything. We're going to do touch the dolphins, touch the manta rays, touch the barnacles. T- we're going to touch every animal <laughs> in SeaWorld. I, we're going to do all of it. We're going to have a full experience and we're, we're going to spare no expense. We're going to go for it, right? So when we sat down to tell our son about this experience that we planned for him, and we have to tell him ahead of time, because he's like me, if you catch him off guard, it flips him out, okay? (laughs) Yeah, he gets that from me. So we sat him down and said, son, we have this amazing experience for you. We're gonna take you to SeaWorld for the first time. And we told him all these things we're gonna do, the experience, and then he looks at me and he goes, but will there be birthday cake at at SeaWorld? (laughs) Hold on, it gets better, he goes, if there's no birthday cake there, I'd rather not go to SeaWorld at all. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> See, Caleb had never been there. Cassandra and I had been there. We've experienced it. We know how fun it's going to be. But with Caleb, he was hesitant to accept the invitation because he'd rather hold on to something that was a little bit more familiar. The birthday cake, right? And so here's how this ties into my message today. Sometimes, oftentimes, God provides us these amazing encounters in the spirit because he is spirit, these amazing, incredible encounters, and we are often hesitant to accept the invitation to these things because we're unfamiliar to them, right? So the title of my message today is Accept the Invitation to Know God More Fully Through Your Worship. Amen? So before we dive into worship, we're going to kind of uh, define what worship means, right? And I've been a part of worship ministry for about 10 years or just a a very long time, okay? And over the years, I've gathered just people's different definitions of what worship is and what it means to them. And so some people would say, well, worship is the time of service where uh, the musicians get on the platform and the singers sing, right? Some people would say, well, worship is when we come and we receive all that the Lord has for us. Or worship is when we come and give God the glory and the praise that he deserves, right? Okay, so while worship can encompass all of these things, I feel like sometimes we often miss the bigger picture on what worship is. So there's a worldview of definition, there's a biblical view that we hold on to, but the worldview uh, of definition in the textbook definition of worship is expression of adoration to a deity or a being. Okay, so you know outside of the church, someone who hasn't yet accepted Jesus into their life, have you ever heard someone say, oh, the universe, Right? I just feel connected to the universe. We have this desire as human beings to be connected to something bigger than ourselves, right? We were created to worship, right? 
Worship has captured the human affection, uh, affection for centuries, for years. And so just for fun, okay, I'm not trying to take us on a history lesson right now, but just for fun, I just looked up a couple different gods and, and lowercase g gods and deities just for fun. Okay, bear with me, okay? This isn't a history lesson. In China, Yinglong was known as the dragon king and the god of the rain and the waters. He was prayed to and worshipped regularly by sailors, fishermen, farmers who needed rain for their crops. So if you needed rain to come down, you would pray to that. Okay, cool. Let's move on. In Rome, Apollo was worshipped as the god of music, healing, the sun, truth, and prophecy. Now, that's a little bit greedy. I mean, music and the sun, it's like, dude, just choose a theme and stick with it, right? He's like, I want it all. (laughs) Oh, man, we're going to have so much fun today. In India, Ganesha or Ganesha was beloved to be the god of wisdom and good fortune. In Egypt, Osiris was revered as the god of the underworld, symbolizing death and resurrection. So we could take that down. I'm not trying to release weird vibes in the room today. Uh, But as you can see, just we were designed to worship. We were designed to just connect to something bigger than ourselves, right? So nowadays, in the westernized culture in America, this is what I've seen personally, we don't really push our affection and adoration to deities per se, but what we can do is we begin to place certain things upon the throne of our hearts. And in turn, we begin to worship these things, right? Materials. Man, if I just had this car, oh my gosh, this house, man, life would be so good. We begin to obsess over that desire. If I just had made this amount of money instead of this amount of money, life would be perfect, right? If I could just hold on to this relationship in my life, this person means everything to me. If I could just hold on to them, my life would be good, right? We begin to place certain things in our heart and in turn begin to worship certain things in our life. So now what I have to do, what I have to do right now is I have to kind of clear the room because I just showed you different pictures of gods, you know? So let me just make something very clear, okay? There is only one God. There is only one who truly rules over the rains and the waters. There is only one who created the very element of sound, therefore generating music. There is only one who provides prophetic encounters, one who heals, and one who can be depended on as the absolute source of truth. He is the one with all authority, both here on heaven and on earth. He is the one who conquered death and facilitates both physical and spiritual resurrection. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. And he wants us to accept the invitation to know him more fully through our worship. So now the biblical view, okay? So we just went through the worldview. The biblical view, when we, when we look at the scriptures and we go back in time, Genesis, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's some examples of worship in their time with the Lord. And then we even go to Moses, the building of the tabernacle. Did you know that the very first place of worship was established by God himself and it did not require music? I don't know if we knew that or not. It wasn't music. It was basically a, a dusty old tent where that God ordained that the Israelites, his people, through a certain amount of steps and obedience and act of sacri- substitutionary atonement that we don't have to do anymore, thank the Lord. But it was able to get us access to, have pres- to his presence and to encounter him. So worship is us encountering God and him encountering us. Right? That's worship. And I'm not going to say that it's changed over time, but things, have, things sure have changed in our culture, right? Worship was never meant to be a genre of music. Worship was never meant to be an elevated show on a stage. Worship was never meant to be a means to popularity and celebrity status. Worship was never meant to be packaged and distributed solely for profit. Now, this is awkward because I just breached all four of those in the past two months. <laughs> Victory has a sound. Hello. 
But there's grace for these things. And I don't mean any condemnation. I'm not trying to shame any artist who has made their music available for all of us to listen to, Elevation and, and uh, Bethel and Hillsong. They're great. So I'm not trying to put any shame to any of this. But I can't help but sound the alarm that worship is about us encountering God. That is it. But oftentimes what we do is we make worship about our preferences and ethical practices. We'll get to preferences in a second, but when it comes to ethical practices, right? Like, don't mess with my rhythm. Don't mess with my flow, right? Okay, song one, song two, host comes up, song three, and then message, and then after that, sing half a song. Not not a full song, a half a song. Don't mess with my rhythm, right? Ethical practices. So let's dive into the scripture. John chapter four, verse 19. So now this story is is so multifaceted. There's so much to this story. It's Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman where he goes, I am the living water. Those who drink from me will never be thirsty again, right? There's so much to this story and this interaction that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. But for the sake of time and for the sake of this, uh, what I'm preaching about today, we're going to focus on the second half of this, all right? So pretty much Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. And somewhere in this conversation, as she's looking at him, she notices something special about him, right? Something spiritual about him. And so in verse 19, she says, sir, the woman woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped? Then Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Jesus was trying to explain to her that worship isn't so much about the thing that we do or the place that we're in. It's a posture that we take. We get so hung up on the thing, the place. It's a posture. It's a lifestyle that we take. How many of you were here for Seek Week a couple weeks ago? Right? Awesome time, awesome time. Uh, Pastor Aaron preached an amazing message, and he talked about worship a little bit, and he had this amazing, 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 amazing analogy of how sometimes we treat worship experiences like a fast food restaurant, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, it's 1.43, I haven't eaten lunch yet, I'm hungry just thinking about it. But, you know, we walk into In-N-Out, right? I want a double-double, cheese and spread only, no lettuce, no tomato, uh, animal-style fry, and a large pig lemonade, right? I am starving right now. <laughs> Right, but we know our order. And maybe it's due to dietary restrictions or just our preference, but we know we have our preferences. We have things that we desire because we like them, right? So now uh, I need a little bit of uh, some uh, congregational participation here. How many of you shop at Walmart? Come on, high and proud, don't, yeah, come on. Walmart is awesome, right? Walmart people. Do you know why I like like Walmart? Because anything could happen at Walmart. Anything could happen. I've seen a flock of pigeons flying by. It wasn't really a flock of pigeons. It was like three, but I'm exaggerating, right? There was this one time where I was at, the, I was at Walmart, and I was pushing a cart, and my beautiful daughter, she's one years old, she was sitting in the seat, and then I, have Kate, I had Caleb on one side, Ian on the other, and I'm pushing, pushing the basket, right? And then you know how kids, after a certain amount of time, they get a little antsy, and they start flailing and knocking stuff over, right? <laughs> So they're knocking stuff over, and it's fine. It's Walmart. An employee comes by, picks it up, puts it back, and keeps walking, right? No big deal, okay? This stranger, I had no idea who this guy is, and he wasn't an employee of Walmart either. He walks by, he goes, man, he sees me struggling with all three of my kids, and he goes, man, I bet you regret having those kids, right? And keeps walking, right? And I couldn't even get mad, because all I can think in my head was, only at Walmart. (laughs) How many of you are Target people? (laughs) 
Yeah, you guys were really excited about being Target people, right? I love Target. Maybe it's all the red. I don't know. I don't know what it is about Target. I feel so sophisticated. I feel so like special when I walk into Target. There's always a Starbucks to my left. I don't know why it's to my left, right? I walk in, I feel all like proper and sophisticated and I'm dressing up. I don't know why I'm dressing up to go to Target, right? I'm walking around, I have my ear pods in and I, I pretend like I'm taking a business call, right? Yes, I will sign those documents. It's my wife asking me to bring home dinner, you know? Amazon, how many of you are Amazon people? Wow, a lot more of you this service, that's awesome. Come on, there's nothing better than Amazon, right? You can sit at home, watch TV, and order stuff for your house in one sitting. Amazon is awesome. Okay, so here's where I'm going with this. We have preferences. We customize our computers, we customize our phones, we choose if we wanna to go to Target or to Walmart. So, and depending on our family dynamic or our life dynamic, we customize our preferences, right? Whether we have the mom and the dad that work, or the mom that works, the dad that works, or both of them, or our kids are in their teens versus our kids are six and under like mine. We want to make life as convenient and as easy as we possibly can. I'm sorry, but I love it that I can just order stuff on Amazon and it shows up at my door in a couple days. That's my preference, right? That's my desire. I love life to be as easy as we possibly can. Don't mess with my preferences. But here's the thing. If we're not careful... We can bring our preferences and our desire for convenience into our worship, and that becomes idolatry. We can idolize our preferences and our desire for convenience. The Bible says that God is to be enthroned upon the praises of his people. The Bible does not say be enthroned upon the preferences of your people. The Bible does not say be enthroned upon the top 10 song list of your people. The Bible says being thrown upon the praises. And here's the thing about praise, and I talked about this before. Praise is something that we give. It's, something, it's a response to God for his goodness and who he is. And we respond with our praise. We sing, we shout, we dance before him, right? And here's the thing about praise. Praise cannot be pulled out of anybody. I cannot pull your praise out of you. Pastor John, Pastor James, Pastor Aaron, all of our ministers and worship leaders, we cannot pull our, your praise out of you. Nobody can pull praise out of me. It's a decision that I make to engage with God by giving him my praise. We cannot wait for the conditions to be just right for us to decide to give our praise. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Come on, don't look at me like that. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm guilty of this too, right? Okay, so you walk into church, right? You walk in, you sit down, okay? Service uh, is about to start. Countdown clock ends. Five, four, three, two, one, okay? The lights show up on the stage. Worship leader comes out. Stand to your feet and worship the Lord, right? Massimo, mostly Massimo. Stand to your feet and worship the Lord. Sorry for yelling at you guys, right? And the first thing that we do as soon as the music start, starts playing, what do we do? I don't like this song. I'm not a huge fan of this song. I don't like the way this worship leader sings. I like this worship leader, but I'll just wait till they start singing, then I'll, I'll worship, right? I'm so tired of the song Lion and the Lamb. Can we put that song to rest? You may be right, but <laughs> I like this song. I just, we sing that bridge too many times. If we can just sing that section one less time, then I'll engage, right? I'm over it. That guitar player's hair is too long. This is awkward because we all know who I'm talking about. Journey, love you, man. <laughs> right? That worship leader's jeans has holes in them. That's unholy. Okay, I was hoping that would actually fail so I can say that was my dad joke of the day, okay? I had to get that one out, okay? You guys are awesome. This is great. 
I love it. So here's the thing. The song is the tool. The song is not the thing that we worship. The song is the tool, right? For what good is a song if we don't encounter Jesus in the song? What good is a service if we don't encounter Jesus in the service? Oftentimes we get too uh, just held up at waiting for the right song, and we begin to worship the song instead of praising the one who uses the song. That is the equivalent of going to a heart surgeon and thanking his scalpel for healing you or for fixing your heart. And the heart surgeon is like, you, you go to the scalpel, you're like, oh, thank you, mighty scalpel, for saving me. And the heart surgeon is like, I did this. We don't praise the tool. We praise the one who uses the tool for his glory. We don't praise the tool. We praise Jesus. We're here for Jesus. It's eternity worship. It's not a being expressive. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a denominational thing. I believe in, in heaven, it's expressional worship is heaven worship. Giving him praise and adoration is heaven worship. Did you know that the angels are in all of our worship? Did you know that? Like, why? Why would the angels be in all of our worship, right? The Bible says that the angels circle the throne of God 24-7, nonstop, singing songs like, you are good, never getting tired of singing that. You are good, over and over. They're probably singing, victory has a sound, because that song came from heaven anyway, right? They're singing to God over and over, never getting tired, never getting bored, never getting over it. They've seen his face. They know what he's like, and yet they're still in awe of our worship. Why is that? Because we can sit in sickness and still give praise to God. We can sit in feeling of, of defeat and still give praise to God. The world can be crashing down around us, but we can still make the decision to give God the praise he deserves, and the angels are in awe of that. It's heavenly worship. And did you also know and just, you know, let's just say, let's just say that all of us in this room, that the only time that we engaged in a worship experience was the 19 to about 22 minutes, yes, end of the time, that we do here at Centerpoint, right, for service. Let's just say, lifestyle is supposed to be a life of worship, Sunday to Saturday or Sunday to Sunday, however you want to look at it. But let's just say that if the only time we engaged in worship was that 19 to 22 minutes on the weekend, right? I want you to know that that 22 minutes is the only thing in your entire week that you will also do in heaven that we do on earth. Did you know that? That is worship on earth is the only thing that transcends from here to heaven, our worship. That is it. We won't be known as pastors in heaven. We won't be known as preachers in heaven. We won't be known as prophets in heaven because everything is already fulfilled. Amen. We won't be known as healers in heaven because everyone will be whole. We, will be, we won't be known as business men, business women, dentists, doctors, construction workers, anything. We will be known as worshipers and lovers of God. That is our identity. Worshipers and lovers of God, nothing else. So why wait? Why wait? Why wait to engage with the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who sent his son, gave his life for us. Why wait? Accept the invitation to know God more fully. Let's continue on in verse 23. Jesus responds. He says, but the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. He says it again. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
The Father is looking. There's the invitation. What could the king of the universe, fool, lacking nothing, complete and perfect, what could he be looking for? He's looking for us, his sons and his daughters, to set aside our preferences and praise his name. Wow. The Father is looking. Accept the invitation to know God more fully through your worship. So when I talk about knowing God, a lot of us kind of, some of us, not all of us, but some of us roll our eyes and like, oh, knowing God, how could you possibly know God more? And some of the religious answers would be like, no mind can fully fathom the mysteries that are of the Lord, right? You can't. So my response is this. I'm not here for a religion. I'm here for a relationship, right? I'm not here to check off boxes. I'm here for a relationship with the creator, right? And so like any relationship, we have so many different relationship dynamics, father and son, mother and daughter. We've got best friends. We all kinds of different dynamics of relationship. And like all these relationships, there takes development. You hang out with the best friend, all of a sudden you start becoming like that best friend. You like the same stuff. You crack the same jokes, right? So we have a relationship with God where we become more like him in his likeness, right? So speaking of relationships, my beautiful wife, Cassandra, is here today. Yeah, there she is right there. We've been married for about, yeah. We've been married for seven years, uh, and we first started dating about nine years ago. Uh, And so I noticed real quick in our relationship that she's a very affectionate person, right? So our first date was at Disneyland. We love Disneyland. Back when the prices were not super crazy high, right? But we would go to Disneyland all the time, two times a week. That was like the place that we would go. And so, you know, months would go by. We still went to Disneyland. We loved being there. And Cassandra, I noticed really quickly that she's very affectionate. She loves to hold hands as we walk around, PDA, hugs, staring into each other's eyes during World of Color, (laughs) magic everywhere, right? That was her. Me? No. I am not big on PDA at all. It trips me out. I'm still working on it now, okay? Growing up, my family dynamic, it was more of like a, you know, a tap on the back and a thumbs up and like a, you're doing a good job. We loved each other growing up, don't get me wrong. Actually, last service, my mom comes up to me in service, she goes, what do you mean I don't show you affection? (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry, mom, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, oh, man. But anyways, so my family dynamic, we weren't really huggy and feely, right? That wasn't going to work with Cassandra at all. There was one time at Disneyland. So you know how when you walk, first get to the park, and you have, like, California Adventure, and you have Disneyland, right? So you walk, and then you choose the park you want to go to. You go to the turnstile, and you take out your little Disneyland pass, and they, uh, they scan it, right? A little whistle noise happens, and you walk through, right, turnstile. So I go first, one person at a time. Cassandra goes second, you know, scans it, walks through. That was better the second time, right? <laughs> and so... Uh, as I'm, I'm walk, I walk through first, and I begin to put the, my Disneyland pass in my wallet, Cassandra swoops up behind me, hugs me, and grabs my hand, and I swear people were looking. It felt like everyone was looking in that moment. I got nervous, and I ripped my hand away from her in shock. I know. It's te- I know. Oh, yeah. It was terrible, you guys. <laughs> I'm surprised she said yes to me when I asked her to marry me after that, right? Matter of fact, she still brings it up sometimes. Remember that time where you took your hand away from me? She does the neck thing, too. Like, no joke. She goes, remember that time where you took your hand away from me in Disneyland? And I'm like, babe, I feel like I've made it up to you, right? We've been married seven years. We have three kids. She goes, "Mm mm-hmm. I love you, babe. You're so awesome. Right, but here's the thing, okay? I could not just blame my upbringing, or I could not just uh, blame 
you know, well, I'm just not an affectionate person. I didn't grow up that way. No, I could not just say, well, I internalize things. I'm just not affectionate. Matter of fact, I tried that with our marriage a couple of times. She said, no. <laughs> she said, absolutely not. I had to learn to become more affectionate for my wife's preferences in the relationship. And it goes both ways. But for the sake of our relationship, I had to honor my wife's preferences for the sake of the relationship, right? And I want to say this, and this can come down pretty heavy, but I feel like we need to hear this, okay? God has preferences. God has preferences. There are things that he likes. There are things that he doesn't like. And we read passages in scripture like sing songs to the Lord, lift your voice and praise his holy name, dance before him. We read these things and we take more of the passive approach and just kind of say, nah, I'm good. I'm not really expressive. That's just not me. Instead of looking at these as invitations to deeper levels of expression to God who deserves it, what is love unexpressed? We have no problem being expressive in our relationships here on earth, but when it comes to God, we're kind of just like, ah, you know, I'm good. I just, you know, I, I just, I don't, I'm not, I don't lift my hands. I'm just, I'm good. Now, I want to make something very clear, okay? God does not sit up in heaven and look at the expressive worshiper and the up-and-coming expressive worshiper right, the one who's not expressive yet, he does not look at both of these people and say, well, you're more expressive, so I love you more. That's not how God operates. Your expression expression in worship does not gain you your salvation. I just have to be very clear. Salvation is a gift given to us by God, but I can't help but feel the heart of the Father over us when he looks at us and says, son or daughter, I love it when you sing to me. I love your voice. You may not like your voice, and the people around you may not like your voice. (laughs) But I love when you sing to me. Son or daughter, I love it when you ignore people's thoughts and what people are going to think of you, and you begin to dance before me. I feel like he says sometimes, too, I love that you're an introvert, and you're not really, you know, outgoing. You don't like to connect with people. But I love that you decided to take a step of faith and join a group. I love that your heart lights up when you're scheduled to serve on the communion team. I love that your heart lights up because mine does too. What is love unexpressed? Thank you, Jesus. Worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. If we were to dissect that verse for just for a second... And we read, worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth, right? We see that spirit, what does Jesus say when he ascends into heaven? He says, I leave with you my spirit. Spirit is the likeness of God, the likeness of God, right? Truth, spirit and in truth, can be translated in the Greek to aletheia, which means reality. So if we were to read that by dissecting it a little bit, we would read that it says, worshipers, okay, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in his likeness, and his reality. I'm going to say that one more time. He is searching for those who will worship him according to his likeness, his preferences, his desires, that what he wants, and those who will step into the reality. And the reality is this, that all of us, all creation will sing the praises of our God. That is the reality of heaven, you guys. 
Just as the angels circle the throne and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, we will sing along with the angels proclaiming his great name. We, will, we can't hesitate. We can't be hesitant to accept that invitation. We step into this place. We accept the invitation, and we give God all the glory, the honor, and praise that he deserves. Verse 25, the woman responds to Jesus. So after Jesus just poured out this amazing revelation, right, spirit and in truth, like, Boom, revelation, bam. The woman says, I know the, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, then he will explain everything to us, right? In other words, yeah, okay, Jesus guy, I know you're all like special and stuff, but I'm going to wait till someone comes along and tells me what I want to hear, right? She's like, I'm going to wait for a bigger sign. Yeah, I just, and then what does Jesus say to her in verse 26? I am the Messiah. The invitation still stands. <laughs> and I want to tell some of you today that when it comes to stuff like Seek Week and the experiences that we hear or any type of spiritual, uh, spirit, God, like spiritual things that we do here at Centerpoint, some of you look at these like Seek Week experiences or just any spiritual experience and you look at it like, like you're looking at it from an outsider's perspective. And I really believe that God is telling you you're not trespassing. This space is for you. This gift is for you. I imagine God coming into our house and just putting this amazing, well-wrapped, beautifully wrapped gift full of life and all the aspects of himself into this gift. And he places it on the table and he says, this gift, he's excited about it. This gift is for you. It's for you. And we just kind of go, oh, thanks, God. But we don't want to open it. We're afraid of how it might transform us. We're nervous about it, so we just don't open it. And God's like, no, no, no. It's, it's for you. Peace, love, joy, patience, happiness, self-control, all of this, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, all of it is for you. You're not trespassing. I'm inviting you to this place. I'm inviting you to this encounter. But like my son Caleb, we're hesitant to accept it because we'd rather hang on to what is familiar, what is safe. Accept the invitation to know God more fully through your worship. God creates these incredible moments for us, these incredible experiences for us, and we respond to these moments with our lives, with our worship. See, we worship the Lord here at Center Point by taking communion together, form of worship, by giving our tithes and our offerings, by celebrating people who are getting baptized and making that public declaration of the internal decision to follow Jesus. We worship God by laying down our preferences and our desires, and we give him unobstructed, unreserved praise, not just for the things that he does for us, but for who he is. He's a good God. He's a, the living God. He's not a fictitious Bible story character. He is the living God. We are to know him on a deeper level, right? I love, the, um, I love the illustration that Jesus says. He goes, there will be those who come to me and tell me, Lord, did we not prophesy and did we not cast out demons and do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me. I don't even know who you are, right? Isn't that amazing how these people were able to operate in the giftings of the spirit in the first place? Like do these things and on behalf of Jesus, but Jesus still says, I don't, I don't know you. 
And oftentimes we come into church and we serve and we do these things, but we don't really know who it is that we're serving. It's not just about doing things. Yes, it's a part of our relationship, and it's awesome to serve and get involved, but the bigger picture is God's love, the demonstration of love from the cross. It's because of what he has done, not what we can do, but what he has done inspires us to get involved, to worship, to praise. It's because of the cross that we engage into his presence, into encountering him. I just want to make that very, very clear today. It's because of what he has done. Nothing we can do, but because of what he has done, we respond. This is not just a checklist. This is a response. We decide to respond to God out of reverence for who he is. You're not trespassing. He has provided the invitation to everyone in this room to encounter him in his presence. The Bible says that he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Isn't that beautiful? Let's go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Father. There are two invitations that I feel that the Holy Spirit wants to to have today in this time together. And I think the first one, and I'm in this category, but those of us who have seen worship as anything other than what God has called it to be, you might say something like, Lord, I am sorry for making worship about my preferences. I'm sorry for any time that I've come into church service and, and made it anything other than encountering you. And, I, and you would probably say, I accept the invitation to know you more fully. You would even say, I, Lord, I just, I repent for allowing the things around me to dictate how I engage in my praise to you. And then there are some of you in this room who have yet to take that step towards accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And right now in this room, I just feel an abundance of love for everyone in this room. You may be saying, oh, I'm not qualified. I mean, I, I got to get my life together first. I got to get it all together first. I have to have my ducks in a row. I have to make sure that I'm holy and clean before I come to the Lord. And the Lord wants to break off that lie right now in this room. I also hear in the spirit him saying that some of you in the room are like, man, but you have no idea my past. You have no idea what bad decisions I've made or where I've been, what I've done. I've, take, I've taken so many steps away from God. I'm a lost cause. I've taken millions of steps away from God. How can he love me? And God is saying, you can take as many steps as you want. All you have to do is turn around and I will be right there. There's no negative balance with God. There's no debt to pay with God. You know who paid that debt? Jesus did. So all we have to do is receive that. His love is for you. I need to say this probably three times in the room today. I don't know why three. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So if you're in the room right now and you have yet to accept the invitation to make him, as, make him your personal Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to raise your hand. So you can raise your hand right now. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed. It's okay to be vulnerable in church. This is a safe place. If you have yet to receive Jesus, go ahead and raise your hand right now. We're not going to rush this moment. 
we're not going to rush this moment. This is the, the most important thing that could ever happen in a service. Did you know that? We can sing the best of songs. We can have the bestest of sermons and, and messages and illustrations. But at the end of the day, the goal is that everyone gains a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. So we'll sit here for a second, and I hope that you feel the, the gentleness of the Lord because the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I sense his kindness in the room over everyone right now. So go ahead and lift your hand. We're not going to rush this moment. It's too important. This is too important. If you want to receive Jesus, just lift your hand up. I'll wait another second. (laughs) I am in no hurry right now. This is the best part of the service. (laughs) Yes, I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Come on. We're in no hurry right now. Hopefully you guys already ate lunch before you came in, so we're good, right? (laughs) Come on, he's in the room right now. If you want to receive Jesus, just raise your hand. I feel like there's about two more people in this room right now. Shame is gone. Condemnation is gone. Guilt is gone in the name of Jesus. Depression is gone in the name of Jesus. Anxiety is gone in the name of Jesus. He's calling you to a life of fullness. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is fullness. Not partial, not 50% fullness of his intention over your life. Okay. So church family together, let's just repeat after me and say, Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. I understand that I am a sinner in need of a Savior that your perfect love has made me whole, has made me complete, lacking absolutely nothing. Thank you for making me the righteousness of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for letting me share with you guys today.